Today, it's part two of a three-part series of shows as we are counting down the top 12 shows of 2023. Last week, it was 12 down to nine, and this week, we'll work down the list from eight down to number five as we'll hit on subjects that include the cattle market, also addressing issues about the next generation coming back to the ranch, the global beef supply outlook, and skills needed for ranch managers. That's all on today's show as we're counting down the top 12 shows of 2023. It's eight through five on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. It's good to have you with us on our program. As you heard there in the opening, yeah, we are counting down the top 12 shows of the year. I always think about whenever I hear a top 12 or a top show countdown, I always think growing up and listening to the to country music on the radio and on Sunday afternoons, we would always hear the top 40 country countdown with Bob Kingsley. And I'm by no means even close to that uh, caliber by of radio personality. But nevertheless, that's what I think about in this. And we're doing that here with... With the Working Ranch Radio Show, we're look back. We're looking back over the year and looking at all of the shows that we put out there. A lot of great shows, and it was tough to narrow it down to the top twelve shows. But we did that, and by no means does it mean the ones that were are not on this list weren't valuable to listen to because it was like I said it was really hard and we basically did this by looking at the total first week downloads to total monthly downloads and then their total downloads to date and uh, one of the things I had mentioned last week we've actually seen tremendous growth in this last year of of first week downloads and shows when we started over a year ago uh, we were seeing about a thousand first week downloads per show now we're up to about two thousand first week downloads so we had to take that in into perspective and one of the shows that we're going to talk about today was one of the shows we started and kicked off 2023 it's made the list we're going to talk about it here today and it was also one of the shows that was kind of the catalyst in helping uh, see our show see some exponential growth and we'll get into that in just a moment but let's uh, get right into it last week I'll just recap just a little bit here before we get started into uh, show ranked number eight but last week we started with 12 worked down to nine and I'll just recap those for you just a a little bit. The show that ranked 12th for 2023 was episode 128 with Steve Cody as we talked with him about getting a herd started correctly. Then in uh, episode 30, uh, one, excuse me, episode 130, which aired in August, that was on Ranch Succession Plan, Your Legacy, a great interview that we had with Dan Childs of the Noble Research Institute. Episode 103, Raising Kids on the Ranch with Alan Crockett aired in January of last year. That was the show ranked number 10. Also a a show that was one of those in the early parts of last year that really projected and pushed the numbers of our show out there. A lot of popularity with that show. And then episode 145 is what we finished out with last week. It aired uh, in December of this year. It was Perspective with Dr. Neville Spear for just addressing a lot of different issues for a lot of us in the cattle business. A great conversation with uh, Dr. Neville Spear. Uh, very, very interesting, very informative with that. And that was episode 145. So with that, let's get started. Here is the show ranked number eight. It was airing on September 30th and it was episode 137. It was with a guest that we've had on our show from time to time. I always enjoy visiting with him. Clint Barrier, Superior Livestock out of Justin, Texas, joined us as we talked about the title of that show was You Can Smell It Coming. And it was we were talking about the outlook of the fall cattle market let's drop in and take a listen to part of that show again it was episode 137 you can smell it coming outlook on the fall cattle market with clint berry our eighth ranked show in 2023 we're still going to be in an incredibly high market as as compared to when they were marketing calves the year before mm-hmm. and i don't see that changing whatsoever i think it's going to be a strong fall run again those prices are going to continue because we're just too short of cattle overall you know, when you're looking at, at what's going into the pen space and what's going to be on feed for the coming year, we're just, we're just short of calves. And, and that's what's, you know, that's the primary driver in the entire marketplace. We, you know, we're enjoying great beef demand. Don't get me wrong, both domestic and, mm-hmm. and export wise. And, you know, that that's credited to producers raising better cattle, making better beef. That's, a, that's credited to, you know, the export programs and checkoff programs and everything that's been done to, to put more, capture more dollar from the consumer and to deliver a more consistent product. 
but uh, you know, and we're enjoying the fact that while that's there, but we're also into a short supply, and that's that's the primary driving factor right now. And and everyone that stayed in the cattle business is going to be able to capture and enjoy that. Clint, we left off and we were going to be talking more on the female side of things. Let's start with these young heifers and we'll just briefly hit that because we know that's going to correlate a little bit with the steers that we were talking about a bit ago. Are we still seeing that big gap? I think anywhere is it's but what been 20 to maybe 25 cents, 50, you know, in there in the past several years on these heifers behind the steers. Is that gap still there is what you're seeing this year? Yeah, it, it, at least on our data, what we saw as the summer run went on and, and we sold the majority of the cattle that we marked through Superior, you know, from mid-June to mid-September, we were seeing little pressure on the on the open heifer calves, open weaned heifer calves as replacement values. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, typically a female is, is going to be worth you know, roughly a number in, in hard money is, is like 20 bucks back. Some, some will be more, some will be less. But if you think about it, you know, heifers typically sell somewhere around that $20, a hundred weight less mm-hmm. in, in a, in an operating market. And a lot of, a lot of producers think, well, it's the same thing when you pull the hides off. And, and, and yes, that's true. And in, in general, the genetics are the same, but the machine that you have, in essence, the animal itself, the, 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 the factory you have is different because heifers, number one don't or they're not as uh, efficient as a steer mm-hmm. you know so their their average daily gain is always going to be less <clears throat> and then two is heifers always have let hang less carcass weight because they're they're smaller by nature just just like a male and a female that's just the way you know god created mm-hmm. it so there's heifers always as a feeder a heifer is an inferior animal to its steer mate now that doesn't mean that your heifers aren't better than that guy's steers or vice versa it just means that all things being equal in general, heifers are a little less efficient. And so they sell for, you know, somewhere in that, say, $20, 100 back range. And we saw that pretty consistent through the summer. You know, occasionally you'd have a set that you could tell somebody was jumping out on and buying and they're, they're going to develop them into bred heifers that, that might bring steer price or better. But overall, that gap remained pretty consistent. 15 to 25 is dang sure the, yeah. the fair number there that we saw throughout the summer. And that tells us that's a great indicator to tell us if we've got pressure from a replacement standpoint on building this cow herd. And, and what those numbers tell us for everybody that's staying in the business and, and, and are marketing calves, that pushes that time frame of, of adding calves back to the, the calf crop out for another year. Mm-hmm. So when people start talking about, well, how many years are we going to enjoy this market under the current fundamentals, what that's saying is we're not rebuilding this year. Wow. You know, we're, we're going to be at least another year out. So before we start retaining females and start adding, you know, production units back into the overall cow herd, add calves back into the calf crop, going to the pens and the feed yard, we're, we're another year out that much farther. And so you can do the math and yeah. start to figure out when you're open, the heifers start calving and you actually get those calves to lean and pen. And that, that pushes that market out for another year. And I think that's, that's a critical factor to watch for. And, and that's not an uncommon thing. If you think about it, mm-hmm. just from a business standpoint, most of us require capital to operate. Yeah. We're not blessed with the fact <laughs> that we've got a huge amount of cash sitting <laughs> yeah. in the bank account. And we've had some awful tough years yeah. last, last several, you know, especially depending on what part of the country you're in. We've had operating notes that have ran longer and higher than what we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, we've dealt with drought. We've dealt with high feed prices we've dealt with higher interest rates on all of that operating capital. And so it's not uncommon that we've got to cash some of these animals out and reap the benefit of this higher market to get square on the, you know, on the red and black line on our profit loss statements before we can reinvest again. And and I think that's a big portion of what you see. And it's not uncommon why traditionally every year, the replacement market is the last market for an uptake in the cattle business. Yeah. When we start to bump prices on, on calves, we start to bump prices on the live cattle, on the, you know, the finished cattle, fat cattle. The last thing to come in is the breadstock market, the replacement female market. So I should probably say that correctly, but that's the last, because we, the, of the cash flow scenario where, you know, the average rancher needs to get his hands on that, square himself up, and then he can reinvest it looking to add to his business model. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk on this bread market because that is the other big element that I know is, is a lot of guys are thinking about a little bit here. And, and we're still a ways off before this bread market really, really is going to heat up. But 
boy, there's going to be some value in these bread cattle, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's you can smell it coming. You know, it's it's like when you walk in and your grandma's making cornbread, you can smell it before you get in the door, you know, yeah. and you can see it's coming, um, especially because of the, the lack of pressure on the open heifers. And and I, I think if you look at the immediate bread stock market, I think the best value in the game is young bread cow or bread or, or a high quality bread heifer right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if if a guy's knowing he's going to be adding cattle to his program to be bumping his numbers up, it, it's a great time to get aggressive right now because there's there's absolutely no fundamental number out there that shows that we're not going to put value on these heifers. Mm-hmm. What extent or these females, I should say, to what extent, I'm not sure that any of us can accurately say it, but, you know, there's no way this trend's not going to follow as we move into the end of the year, which is traditionally when we take the bump on the cattle anyway. You know, guys start to get their calves sold. If they're farmers too, they get their crop in the bin, start to get some cows preg checked, and they know what their numbers are, and they start facing Uncle Sam at the end of the year. And they're going to reinvest some of that, some of their equity and and add back to the herd, especially in a positive market like that. And I absolutely see us doing that as we move into November and December toward the end of the year here like normal. These, I think some of these special cow sales are really going to set, you know, just they're going to set the world on fire with some of these good young cattle that are going to be available. I've seen some prices. It's hard to to really square it down because there just hasn't been enough trade to, to justify. But I, I've seen some prices on the better end bred heifers and, and young young cows from, you know, maybe 2750 to Thirty-two fifty. Mm-hmm. I'd say that'd catch a big majority mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. just to put that in numbers. Well, you know, if we're selling fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, even eighteen hundred dollar calves, that's a pretty good bargain. Mm-hmm. And it also tells you why it's hard to hold on to an open heifer. You know, if you're selling open heifers at fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars, and you can buy a bread for a thousand more, the math does not show that you can raise that open into a bread mm-hmm. and get her to that status, ready to have a calf. Just it, it, as long as you also include the the opportunity time of how you're going to, in essence, have another calf in this higher market to to sell out of that bread than you did as an open. And, you know, that's going to fit everybody's program to what they want to do. But it's a great, great time if you want to upgrade some cows. It's a great time if you can move quickly to to buy some maybe some better genetics and add to your herd that advances you that much faster you know, while you're also increasing your bull power. But I'm just, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. You know, usually that numbers you, you learn over the years, that number somewhere between two and a half and three calves is yeah. the value of a bread stock animal. And like I said, if, if you do the math on what we've been selling some calves for that, we're not there right now. It's a great time. It, it, it seems like a great big yeah. number yeah. buying a female, <laughs> but, the, but the margin, the math, the, you know, the equation says that it makes sense and again that was just a portion of that great conversation that clint barry or superior livestock and i had as we were talking about the outlook on the fall cattle market it was episode 137 that aired in september now as as you heard there not only were we talking about that fall run but also even projecting into 2024 so still some great information that is in that program and i encourage you to go back and listen to that episode 137 ranked number eight for 2023 well coming up after the break we're going to get to the show ranked number seven it was the show that kicked off 2023 and the title alone spurred enough interest to make people want to go listen to it and it was a great program to boot and also coming up later in the show while we'll continue working down our list we'll also have the captain tim o'burn stopping in with this week's edition of tim's two cents and meteorologist don day giving us a look at our long-term weather there's a lot happening here on today's episode of the working ranch radio show There are lots of nutrition tubs out there, but none can match the True Blue commitment of Vitalix. Our tubs offer you the most concentrated nutrition at the lowest cost per day. That means more profit for your operation and improved performance for your cow herd. In fact, research shows Vitalix tubs increase feed efficiency by 20% while boosting conception rates, herd health, and weaning weights. Learn more at Vitalix.com. Vitalix, the True Blue Tub. 
And this is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We welcome you back here for the program. I don't know why I didn't mention this right off, and I have to apologize. But first of all, as this program is airing over a holiday weekend, we just wish all of you, from all of us here at Working Ranch Radio Show and the Working Ranch Magazine, a very blessed, safe, and happy holiday season. And it's a time of the year where we just really have some time to be thankful for what we have as we're closing up a year. And nevertheless, any year that's out there, it always has its struggles, but it always has some things that we can be very, very thankful for. And this year is no different than that. And so from all of us here, we wish you the very blessed and happy, safe Christmas and New Year's season. And our program, as we continue here today, we are counting down the top 12 shows of 2023. Last week, we started with shows 12, worked down to number nine. This week, we're starting at eight and working down to five. In the previous episode, we hit the show ranked number eight, episode 137. And now we're on to the show ranked number seven. And this was a show that kicked off 2023. And man, oh man, did it kick us off in good fashion. It was episode 100 entitled, Why? Why Junior shouldn't come back to the ranch. Yeah, just the title alone would make you want to go back and listen to this. And Dallas Mount, who is the CEO for Ranch Management Consultants, joined us on that show. He has been a regular contributor to our program on many different occasions as we've had him on to talk about things that just uh, from every different shape and angle has been very informative. And this show was no different. You're going to hear just a snippet of this show. And folks, let me tell you right now, there was a lot more to this show than what we're going to be able to air for you here today. So here is the show ranked number seven for 2023 episode 100 with Dallas Mount entitled why junior shouldn't come back to the ranch. I I think an interesting question to ask it is if we want our kids to someday lead this business, what do we need to do? What, what do they need to do to help them become equipped so that they're best qualified to lead this business in the future? And so, so looking at it that way, right? So if, if we're looking at bringing on a senior level partner into our business, what kind of things would we look for in that person and in their skills? So, so that might bring us to the show topic a little bit about, you know, maybe why a junior shouldn't come home. Okay? And, and I think what, where I'm coming from that is if, uh, if the kids are at a stage now where maybe they've, uh, you know, gotten out of high school, maybe they went off and got a, a degree for a couple of years, a technical degree. Maybe they went to a four-year program. Maybe they just graduated high school and, and you know, went to work for the neighbor down the road for a year or two. Uh, you know, when is the right time to say, hey, we'd, we'd love to have you back in this business? And, and I think if you're looking at it from that standpoint of how do we build the best, the people that are best equipped to lead this business into the future, then in, in my opinion, it's probably not right to bring the kids into the business just two or three or four years uh, after being gone, mm-hmm. especially if they haven't had some some really significant experiences. And I don't think going to a four-year school, right? So like if you grew up on this place and you know you spent your, your evenings and weekends working on the family place, and then you went away to a four-year school, and maybe you came back over the Christmas, over the summers, and, and now you're done with that. I don't think that's the right time to say, yep, there's a spot for you here. Come on back. I, I just don't think those people have developed the, the skills and the perspective and, and had the opportunities to stretch their wings. They need to at, at that point. So, yeah. so my suggestion to the ranches that we work with is to, is to delay that homecoming for, for a while. Yeah. You know, and I think we're, we're kind of dabbling into a couple different subjects in a way, in a way that's all tied together in terms of pushing this down to the, getting this available, ready to go to the next generation. But it's a, it's a tough subject for mom and dad, because if you're, if you're in a family that has more than one sibling, <laughs> more than likely, it's not just as simple as passing it down to junior. And I think that really has ways on mom and dad's or granddad and grandma's mind quite a bit. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that deals with a, a whole host of a lot of the conversations we have in our executive link program. And, and uh, these aren't easy conversations. Um, I've, I've got a few thoughts to that to share with you. Um, wh- one of those thoughts is the, the easiest thing to do is to, if, if let's say there's three siblings, is to go a third, a third, and a third, right? That, that's the easiest thing to do. Um, that almost always results in the ranch being divided. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, you, we can all sit and say, well, my kids are going to ranch together. And when I'm gone, they're going to be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Rarely does that work. 
right? So sometimes they put up with it till mom and dad are either gone or out of the picture enough that they have control to do with it. But it almost always results in in the ranch being divided at some point. And I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. I mean, you know, that's, that, I mean, the matter of fact is at some point the ranch will probably be, be divided. Yeah. Right. But do you want to have that happen on, on the transition year that you're doing? So if you want an alternative, then the alternative is uh, to, to make it clear before the transition event occurs that this is our intent. We, we are going to give the, the, the land entity, whatever it is, we're going to give that intact to the person who returns. And in order to make that work, we're probably going to have some other assets somewhere else. They're probably not going to be of equal value, uh, but but they might be an insurance policy. They might be a you know set of mutual funds somewhere. They might be another business uh, that you've built over the years that you can you know give to the the non-returning heirs. Uh, but to make this happen, it has to be planned for all along. And so what that means is taking profits from the business. Now that assumes that there's profit. So first of all, you got to set the business up to be, to be profitable, but then when there are profits to not stick them all back into the business. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so tempting to do because when there are profits, we've got a laundry list of all these capital projects that we want to do. Um, but you need to be disciplined enough to take a portion of those profits and to say, okay, we're going to put them over here or do this with them. So that there is something else to give to the non-returning ranch heirs. Yeah. Uh, just a couple things, Dallas, we were talking about at the break there and, and uh, we wanted to touch on. We have just a little bit of time here, but that was uh, a couple things here in terms of some timeline scalability and some some of those concepts. Hit those uh, real quick. Sure. There, there's a lot of things to get in this conversation today. And we're not going to be able to hit it all, but a couple more things to consider. Number one, if you're going to add another family to the business, the business needs to be of a reasonable scale to support that. Um, our target is uh, for every $400,000 in gross product of business produces, it can support one FTE, right? So if you're looking at your ranch and, and you guys are doing a million dollars in in gross a year, uh, gross product, uh, now you have to look at our material to see what, how we identify that. Your gross product, then that means that business could support two full-time employees, right? It meets that target of 400000 Too often we see businesses that are barely scraping to support one family, and now they're trying to add a second to it. So, so let's just be real about the scalability of that. Now, that doesn't mean when Junior comes back, maybe we can say, hey, we want to invite you back, but we're not at the scale to do that. But we hope that in five years, you'll help be able to grow our business to do that. Right? That, that, that's fair. But I just think we need to be we need to be real with those things when we sit down and consider it. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing I want to bring on uh, to folks, and, and this came from a group of EL alumni that shared an article with me uh, that was out of one of the, I think it was the New Yorker magazine. And it said, your management decline is coming sooner than you think. (laughs) And it it was about uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and the decade of life of the leader in those businesses. And it was really hard on those people that are past their 50s in terms of the decade of life. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about ranches, right? Many yeah. ranches are transitioning leadership of that ranch till somebody's in their 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s. Yep. Right. Well, so I, I just want to encourage people to think or to let them know the transition of leadership in your business should happen sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I'm in my 60s and I've just got this thing figured out, it's probably time to seriously start the transition leadership in that business. And, and if you wait another five years, it's probably too late, right? I mean, so so how do you do that? It doesn't mean it has to happen all at once, right? It's not a walk in one day and and you're the boss and walk in the next day and you're the boss, right? It's, you know, right, how can we give them pieces of this so that within five years, they're, they're equipped to lead the whole thing, right? Um, but I would just encourage people that, that that transition of leadership in your business needs to happen sooner than you think when by the time somebody's in their 40s they really should be controlling the decision making in it so that that's yeah. just my thoughts and there was just so much in that interview we shared with you just snippets and bits and pieces of that conversation that we had with dallas mount on why junior shouldn't come back to the ranch again a play on words as you heard there and really it was just how can we prepare junior so that they do want to come back to the ranch and how that would work a great conversation that aired january 6th of 2023 episode 100 it's what kicked off this past year and man oh man was it a good program 
time to get the year kicked off. Now, I'd also mentioned that we do have some honorable mention programs that I'd like to bring up from time to time. Speaking of Dallas Mount, we did episode 125. I'll throw in the the, uh, honorable mention category that aired in July of this year. It was Principles Over Practice and uh, a great program there that I'd encourage you to go back and listen to as well. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. We're working down the list. We'll get to number six and five coming up in the next few segments. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. Nothing delivers a better return on investment like cattle health. Set up the next generation for lifetime performance with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve reproductive success in your herd with a 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro have stronger immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Help protect your profits by partnering with Zinpro. We are counting down the top 12 shows of 2023 of the Working Ranch Radio Show. This is part two of a three-part series of programs. Last week we started, we started at number 12 and worked on down to number nine. Today it's eight through five and next week it'll be the top four shows of 2023. Hi, I'm Justin Mills and we are glad to have you joining us on our program as we are now on to number six and definitely the markets was a subject we hit from time to time throughout 2023. 23, as we do in most of the years. But this one was a little bit different because we were actually looking at more of the global beef supply outlook and why it's supportive to our future domestic markets. It was episode 123 that aired in June 24th of this past year with Brett Stewart, who is with Global Agritrends, a great program that had a lot of useful information. And again, folks, I'm going to say it, we're airing just a portion of that show. And if you hear something in that that sparks your interest you will want to go back and listen to episode 123 on why global beef supply outlook is supportive to our future domestic markets it was the show ranked number six in 2023 let's take a listen a lot of optimism you feel in the markets and we've heard that you know we've heard the outlook is looking like for our markets here but let's look at this from a global standpoint just to start and you really see a lot of optimism in this market going forward yeah, it's interesting, Justin, when you look around the world and we're all aware of what's going on in the U.S., we went through a drought, we've liquidated almost 2 million beef cows, we're starting to see the prices lift. But when you look around the global markets at what's going on, it's interesting. We are in a spot here, and I've been doing this for most of the last 20 years, I've never seen a situation like this. But when I look out at what's going on in Brazil, Brazil has aggressively killed females to supply the Chinese market. China's a whole different ball of wax. We can talk about that here in a minute, but Mm -hmm. Brazil has overkilled their herd to try and fulfill orders and keep beef going to China. As a result, they're in a spot where their female herd, I think is tight. Now in the global markets, we don't have data. We don't have a USDA in Brazil doing what our USDA does. So everything's guessing. And And that's what I've made a living on, is guessing what's going on in the markets in China, supplies out of Brazil, Australia, et cetera. Long story short, due to our weather pattern and the inverse of our weather pattern in Australia, as well as what's going on in Brazil, we are expecting that the combined slaughter rates, total slaughter out of Australia plus Brazil plus the U.S., we've got that slaughter down 10% from 2023 to 2027. And so we're in a spot here where three of the biggest global beef exporters on earth are going to be moving through tight supplies over the next four years. I'm not just talking about what we're hearing on calves now or what I think they're going to do next year. From a global basis, we've got support here for years out. Mm -hmm. When you talk about this export market and our global market, let's put it into perspective as far as what that does. How does how much of an effect do we see from the global market on our U.S. market? I know and maybe I'm not phrasing that question right, but I feel like sometimes we're really consumed about our domestic market here in the U.S. And it is a big part of our industry. So I don't want to downplay that. But at the same time, I don't think we quite understand, at least I don't quite understand really the implications that we we see from that global beef market as a whole and its effect on us here in the U.S. Yeah, I get what you're saying, Justin. So, yeah, when you're sitting there on the ranch, you say, oh, the price that those Japanese pay for beef tongues is a long ways from what I get paid for my calves, right? And there's a lot of interactions and, mm-hmm. and transactions in between those two. So, you can look at it pretty simply this way. Exports on a tonnage basis, we export about 10% of our beef production. 
about 10% of the beef pounds goes out of the country. Now I run a um, little metric here. I take export dollars as a percent of the Fed steer value. That export dollars as a percent of the Fed steer value 10, 15 years ago, it was about 10%, about the same as the volume. Today it's well over 20%. Hmm. So we export 10% of our production and over 20% of our value. Okay. And that's just happened in the last 10, 15 years. I'll tell you, it is shocking. And I haven't been to China since COVID, but 2019, I was over there three times. I've been to China pretty much every year for the last 20 years. And what's happened just in China alone is pretty shocking. And to see that beef demand come on, I mean, for years, I'd go to China and eat pork every meal. Mm-hmm. Or if I ate beef, it was old dairy cow beef, some real lean beef, and they'd boil it, boiled beef. The last eight years in China, every restaurant, you go through those big malls in Beijing or Shanghai or Guangzhou, every restaurant has a picture of white fat marbled beef in the window. Mm-hmm. And it is, I don't know how to explain it. It's like cell phones or cars. It is the new thing in China. And so historically, we used to sell a lot of beef into North Asia, North America and North Asia, Canada, Mexico, Japan, and Korea. Mm-hmm. That was the majority of our beef. Well, selling beef to Japan and Korea, they had a pretty cozy agreement how they allocated the, the cuts. And then China comes into the market. And all I can say for a cattle guy, it's kind of like if you've ever been at the sale barn and there's two guys buying cold cows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've been there, right, Justin? Yeah. Two guys. And you're watching cold cows sell going... I kind of feel like I'm getting pillaged here. I feel like something's <laughs> going on. What happens when that third guy walks in and starts bidding? Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you find out yeah. I'm getting I'm getting a fair price. And that's what happened when China came into the global markets. All of a sudden, Japan and Korea just flat could not keep up. And uh, what we've seen just here recently, Japan is the one least able to step in the ring and bid with those guys. And so China coming into the market really increased the value of our export dollars. Yeah. How active is Australia and Brazil trying to hit that China market? I mean, are we all three hard competing on China? Yeah. Brazil's the biggest supplier by a mile. Oh, really? Um, They're they're supplying the most beef, Uruguay, Argentina, Australia, New Zealand. But here's the deal. When you talk about grain fed beef, and I told you those pictures all have white fat marble beef. Now, all those restaurants don't have white fat marble beef, but all the pictures Mm -hmm. are. White fat marble beef is only produced in the U.S., in Canada, and about 30% of Australia. And so in that Chinese market, there's a lot of Australian beef, Brazilian beef going in that's $1.50 pound cheaper than ours. The highest price imported beef into China month in, month out is the U.S., and it's by a wide margin. And so we're in a unique spot. When I look at global beef production, if I go back to 2000, the year 2000, 23 years ago, the total production of grass-fed beef in the world has increased about four and a half million tons. The increase in water buffalo, that's out of India, that's increased three million tons. The total supply of grain-fed beef on the planet in 2023 versus the year 2000, it's going to be almost the same. Hmm. So think about that. So you can't just look at global beef supplies. These are different products. So in 23 years, we've added 1.8 billion people to the planet. We've added 43 trillion in global GDP. And 2023 and next year, 2024, the world's going to have almost the identical amount of grain-fed beef that we did 23 years ago. Hmm. That's because of our liquidation and Canada's liquidation. We were up about a million tons in 2022. But this global market for grain-fed beef is truly incredible. Uh, The U.S. is an importer of beef. And so talk about that element of our market. Yeah, we're now the number two importer of beef uh, behind China. China's now surpassed us. So in terms of imports, and I went down this road, you know, I'm from the cattle producer standpoint of I'm with you. Why are we importing beef? We produce the best beef in the world, right? (laughs) You kind of got to go back through history. And I worked uh, for a few years for the U.S. Meat Export Federation in Denver. And uh, if you go back to the history of why we export and what these markets do, look at Japan. You have to go back, clear back into the 1980s and 1990s when we really opened up Japan and started exporting beef. Those Asian markets eat different cuts than we do. They love short plates. Most people don't know what a short plate is. It's the same thing as a pork belly on a steer. Okay. It's basically that belly yeah. on a steer. It's real fatty. They like chuck rolls, uh, even brisket. Some of those fattier cuts, um, short ribs, things that we just really didn't utilize in full. 
those North Asian markets love. And so one thing that happened over time is that's a lot of the cuts that would end up in our trim pile. We would take short plates and navels and short ribs and some of those things. A lot of that would go into trim and it would be ground for hamburger. Mm -hmm. well, what happens with imports is all of a sudden we say, hey, we got buyers over here that'll pay three, four, five dollars a pound for these cuts. Let's go ahead and ship them out. We tighten our trim supply. And in return, we end up importing beef, whether it's from Canada, Mexico, Australia, for a dollar fifty a pound less. And so really in that trade, we're upgrading those cuts. We're going and finding the highest bid in the world for every cut. Mm -hmm. And so as a beef producer, I want every cut from my steer to go to the highest buyer on earth. Now what that did, it's tightened our lean supply here. And so we do have lean supply coming in and virtually all of our imports are coming in as 90% grinding beef. Mm -hmm. That comes in, it gets blended with the 50-50, we make lean patties. Now as a rancher, I say, well, I used to hate it when I'd take cold cows to the auction and get 32 cents a pound. And I'd say, if we could shut off these imports, my cold cows wouldn't be 32 cents a pound. Yeah. That's a little harder argument to make today when cold cows are $1. ten plus <laughs> <Yeah>. per pound. <laughs> right? We simply do not have enough. We simply do not have enough. And and there's a couple of things to consider. You can say, well, in a perfect world, we would export, but not import. And that would give us maximum demand for our product. Well, you're not going to get any trade deals done if you say we want to export, but we're not willing to import. Yeah. And it's the same for our partners as well. You know, you, you, the door kind of swings both ways. But what's good news for us is those imports really have a small sized impact compared to the outsized impact of our exports. And so as a producer, like I say, you want to sell every pound of beef for the highest value anywhere in the world. Hamburger is our lowest cost product. It is the least, it's mm -hmm. the cheapest product we make. Mm -hmm. And so in effect, yeah, we allow those imports in, we export. And, and I think there's some room for concern about imports. I get a little nervous when I see USDA approving uh, Paraguay for yeah. import based on a risk assessment that they've done a few years ago, like eight years ago. <laughs> and yeah. we have to be careful. We need to protect this industry from disease. And I'm all about that. And I think we need to be very careful and, and we need to scream when we need to scream yeah. about the safety of imports. But when we're talking about this Canadian beef coming in, Australia, Mexico, we've got pretty good safety profiles in place. Disease risk is pretty low. Yeah, that stuff comes. But like I say, it's kind of a hard argument to make when cold cows and cold bulls are up in that $1.10, $1.20 range. That was just a portion of the show ranked number six in 2023. It was episode 123 on why global beef supply outlook is supportive to our future domestic markets. Brett Stewart with Global Agritrends was our guest, and we just tapped into a part of that conversation that we had there. I appreciated his perspective, his view, and his knowledge that he's had over many years of looking Looking at this from an economist standpoint, a great subject. If you are in the ranching industry and you're raising beef, this is a show you need to go and listen, listen to. Episode 123, the show ranked sixth in 2023. We'll stick around. Coming up after the break, we're going to get into the show ranked number five for the year. And also the Captain Tim O'Byrne and meteorologist Don Day will be stopping in. Stay with us. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we continue our countdown of the top 12 shows of 2023, we are down and working on number five in this segment, and we are going to be joined by Rick Manchin of the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management as I caught up with him in episode 131 entitled Skills Needed for Today's Ranch Manager. It aired on August 19th of this past year, and it really stemmed from the idea of knowing that we do have a lot of folks listening and that are both managing ranches or wanting to be a ranch manager. So this was a show where we addressed that subject on skills needed for today's ranch manager. A great conversation we had with Rick Manchin of the King Ranch Institute, episode 137, the show ranked number five in 2023. I think that getting experience and exposure, whether they go to college and then I think it's a great thing if, if the family can afford it, go get a job and work in the industry elsewhere, work in finance, work in another segment of the beef industry other than cow cat, work in a feed yard, maybe work for a packer. I think that diversity of experience 
only adds to the toolbox of a person that's going to either eventually go back to the family ranch and manage that or manage for other ownership. Mm -hmm. And so it gets back to our original discussion about change. Mm -hmm. So things are changing so fast outside or away from the ranch that if we grew up with Dan and we always did it Dad's way for the reasons Dad did it, those reasons may not be valid anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that breadth of exposure uh, is critical. We require uh, candidates uh, to have three to five years minimum beyond the bachelor's degree before they apply to come to our program. We we think that maturity is important, the demonstration that they're passionate about the industry, but again, that broader exposure uh, to different segments of the industry only makes them more well-prepared to be a manager and, and participate in our program. Mm-hmm. Very good. Rick, you've got about three things or three kind of umbrella things within each of those things are some subcategories and specific skills. So let's get into the first one that you identified, and that is tactical skills. What are you meaning by that? Yeah. Well, again, Justin, it's great to be with you on the show, and I've been looking forward to this discussion. And and tactical may not be the most appropriate word. It's just the word that I use. But but those skills are the day-to-day chores that we all grew up doing, The, the natural resource management. Uh, to include soil, forages, water, the natural resources, and then the animal management component of that, the day-to-day grind of taking care of the cattle, the sheep, the lives, other domestic livestock, horses, whatever it might be. And then the third part of that is the infrastructure, maintenance, how to take care of roads, fences, water infrastructure, all that kind of stuff, keep it in good repair and working. So the things that, under the tactical skills umbrella that I think a ranch manager has to have command of the things that most of us that grew up in a farmer ranch environment, we grew up watching dad or grandpa or aunt or uncle, whatever. And we just learned by doing. I I think today's ranch manager to be effective needs to know how to do those things um, and do them well. And more importantly, know what it takes to get those things done. You know, managers of large complex ranches, businesses, don't have the luxury uh, typically from the time standpoint of being out there, you know, being horseback every day or three days a week, but they need to be able to do those skills and, and demonstrate to the, to the folks that are working for them that a, they can do them and do them well, but they know what it takes to get it done. I think that only helps them command the respect of the people that they're supervising to know Hey, I not only can I do it, I'm willing to get out there, be there in the Brandon PM, be there at weaning, checking heifers, moving irrigation pipe, whatever the case might be. So those tactical skills are absolutely huge. And as we look at candidates that are applying to the Institute, we, we pretty much expect them because we're only a two year master of science program. We expect them to come with those skills. We don't have the time mm-hmm. or the geographic diversity of knowledge yeah. that it would take to act to, to, completely train a person to go manage a ranch anywhere in the 48 states. Mm-hmm. One of the things as you were talking about tactical skills, you said you as a ranch manager, you kind of need to know this stuff because this, some of that stuff may be what the boots on the ground. If you have somebody working for you might be doing, and if you really don't know how to do it, there might be a, a little sliver of respect that kind of goes away, which leads us to our next skill. And that is managing people. Yeah, for sure. You know, as we visit with, have the opportunity to visit with large managers of large complex ranches or ranches of any size across the country, and, and you visit with them and say, what are your challenges? What, what, on a day-to-day basis, what's the biggest challenges? When I came to the Institute, I thought those challenges would be the natural resources, livestock, marketing, animal health, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Not so. Almost to the person when you visit with these, with today's ranch managers, Communication across the ranch is going to be one of the, always going to be in the top three, as is people management. Uh, and people management skills, the really good managers have got it figured out how to effectively manage the people that are working for or with them. And that may be managed fellow family members, or it may be managing a whole fleet of, of employees that are, that are not related to ownership. But effective people management is absolutely key. We all appreciate how difficult uh, it is to find labor today, and especially in a ranch environment uh, or a, a feed yard where you're asking them to be out in the elements in the wintertime. 
um, in the heat of the summer. Um, it's it's not the the most comfortable working environment. It's a phenomenal lifestyle. It's a phenomenal experience. But the ability to recruit good people and retain those people and develop those people, and I think it's a continuous process for all of us as the manager, as the owner, or as an employee. To be really good, we have to be a lifelong learner, uh, and just the ability to manage those people, get the best out of them, and get the have the best for them is an absolute, absolute requirement. Well, I hate to cut it short, but the next subject we were getting into was the third leg in that stool of the th- of the skills needed for today's ranch manager. And if you want to find out what that is, then go to episode 131, Skills Needed for Today's Ranch Manager. It was a great conversation with Rick Manchin, the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. They've been doing that for a lot of years, training up ranch managers. I appreciated his insight and his knowledge in this and his expertise to give us a great program there and some great information in that rank number five is episode 131 aired august 19th of this past year where we're going to put a halt on the countdown for today's program next week we will be getting into shows ranked four down to number one but coming up in the next segment the captain tim o'burn will be by as well as meteorologist don day stick with us this is the working ranch radio show Fascinated by our wild weather? Now you can learn, appreciate, and understand the weather in your own backyard with the new Tropo Rain Gauge. Having achieved the highest rating of any product reviewed by theweatherstationexperts.com, the Tropo boasts rugged durability, impeccable accuracy, and precision to the hundredth of an inch. Visit MeasureRain.com to order a Tropo today and use code RAINDAY, that's R-A-I-N-D-A-Y, for free shipping and 10% off. Go to Measure rain.com welcome back to the working ranch radio show i was just thinking there through the break and the fact that you know one of the reasons that we do this top 12 countdown to of the shows of 2023 not only to finalize and finish out the year but also it's a good way to just rehash some of those programs that were really impactful and for myself as i go back and pull out some of those clips i'm just finding that there were some really great shows not only in the top 12 that we're highlighting here in these last three shows of 2023 but many other shows and i would just encourage you even though you might have heard that show and say well i don't need to go back and listen i'd encourage you to go back to some of these shows and listen to them again because they are are very some very very good shows some good guests that had a lot of great information to share with us well speaking of good guests the captain tim o'burn is standing by let's listen in to see what he's got for us on this week's edition of tim's two cents Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch, Radio Land. Well, the blessed season is upon us. I hope your winter is going good. Not Lots of family get-togethers and good times. Cattle looking good. I hope you have a great holiday. NFR is over here. Vegas is pretty quiet now and uh, gives us a chance to reflect on what all happened. That was a pretty crazy rodeo season and a great wrap-up. Uh, Christine and I are glad to uh, get to visit with you and Milo down at Cowboy Christmas. That was really good. And I took in another event. I I actually checked it out online live. It was the Diamonds in the Desert Premier Horse Sale. And I got to tell you about Lot 18, um, Gelding. I mean, these are amazing horses. And they they can work and do all kinds of stuff. And uh, one of them went for 72000 bucks, And another one followed not long after for 74,000. I got to tell you, that blew my mind. 74,000 for a working gelding. Uh, there's some just great, amazing horses and, and great horse folks out there that can make those kind of horses. And uh, things are looking up. So here's to 2024. Hope everything is looking good for you folks. And Justin, we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, Captain. And yeah, like he said there, we had the opportunity to catch up while we were down there, his wife and I and Mila and I, and it was good to see them. But I tell you, with as late as the finals was this year, it really kind of almost put me in a bind to getting things done before Christmas this year. But it was a good time and it was a good opportunity to see the captain and his wife as well. Well, let's switch gears now just a bit and take a look at our long-term weather. Joining us is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, we always do try to get and look at a long-term weather forecast on our program here but with the many variables that we're seeing in the weather elements that make up our weather across the country it's been pretty tough here as of late 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of moving parts, uh, and we're looking at these moving parts moving against each other and really making it very difficult. Uh, even our best, highest resolution, fastest uh, computer models, complete with even the latest in artificial intelligence trying to help us forecast the weather, uh, really getting past two or three days has been really, really hard. And, and a lot of reason for that is, is that the El Nino, out in the Pacific is reaching its peak strength right now. That's starting to affect the weather. That's one reason why we've finally seen some good precipitation over the last couple of weeks in the uh, Southern Plains, California last week, doing very well with some good rainfall. Um, That is also working with what has been some really cold weather over in Asia and Siberia. Not a lot of folks know about you know, we all know it's been pretty warm mm-hmm. across most of the North American continent, Canada included here in the month of December so far. But it has been extremely cold in parts of Eastern Europe, Russia, Siberia. Uh, earlier in this past week, it, it dropped to zero Fahrenheit in Beijing, China. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often. <laughs> that was a record. And a lot of that cold air now is pushing into the Pacific on the western edge of the Pacific. And all of that, the warmth from the El Nino, the cold coming off of Siberia, there's just a lot to track, and and that's causing a lot of variability in the modeling. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know for our area, and generally speaking across the country, there has been some moisture across the southern half of the country, but it's been a pretty mild winter so far. And at some point, that's probably going to have to change. Yeah, what we're going to be watching is is that colder air uh, moving across the Pacific into the continental United States in about a week or so. Now, it's going to get modified. You take that Arctic air off the continents and you put it across the water. Well, that's going to temper the Arctic air a little bit. But that Arctic air will interact with the warmer water temperatures of the ocean, causing some storms to form across the North North Pacific. And we're also looking at um, probably a movement of the colder air from the, uh, the other side of the hemisphere to this side. And we expect that especially around the 5th and the 10th of January. So as we go into the new year, uh, some of this very mild weather we've been enjoying across the United States during the month of December, well, it's going to be feeling more like winter, especially in the central and the eastern parts of the U.S. You bet. All right, Don, well, appreciate it. I'll let you go here. And thanks for joining us here with a look at our long-term weather and uh, wishing you all the very best here this Christmas weekend and as you prepare for this coming New Year's as well. We look forward to talking to you next week. Sounds good. You too as well. All right. And again, that is meteorologist Don Day with a look at her long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. That's where you can go and find if you're interested in purchasing some weather equipment, various things like that, or you want to tune in each and every morning to his daily video podcast. You can find the link from his website at dayweather.com. Stick around. We'll put a wrap on this week's show when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Just a quick shout out of one more show that I had here on my honorable mention list. It was episode 113 that aired in April of this last year entitled Land Trust, Capturing the Recreational Value of Your Land. And I was interviewing the CEO for Land Trust. It's a company that basically says has set up uh, similar to like a bed and breakfast concept, but you as the ranch owner or the landowner can go through them and they'll negotiate those terms and you have a lot of power and a lot of say in how that goes down. And if you ever have been interested in how you can capture some of the recreational value of your land that's a program you might want to go back and listen to again that was episode 113 well the working ranch radio show is a production of working ranch magazine it's branded number one by america's ranchers if you would like to get a hold of me it's pretty simple you can send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com well again on behalf of all of us a working ranch radio show and working ranch magazine we wish all of you a very blessed and happy merry christmas I'm Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.